0: Welcome, Dragons. Thank you for being with us today. Time's the most precious resource any of us have, and the fact that you have chosen to spend some of yours with us is something we never take for granted. We're very appreciative, so thank you. Today we get to talk with the one and only Lee McCormick. Lee is one of my favorite guys. He's so authentic, so true to himself, and he embodies the rock and roll spirit that makes music so great. He's a spot-on drummer and musician, but he's a better entertainer. On a personal level, this is a bit of a full circle episode for me. Lee is the dude who introduced me to the world of podcasting by having me on his show a few years ago. In fact, I've been on The Tramps Like Us, a Bruce Springsteen podcast, twice now. It's a really authentic show, and you should definitely check it out if you're a fan of The Boss. Or if you just want to get to know Bruce Springsteen better, Lee is an excellent guy to help you get down that road. All right, Dragons, let's check it out. I guess what we should do is, is introduce you. This is uh, Lee McCormack. And how do you say your last name, man? Is,
1: is it McCormack? It's it's, it's McCormack. McCormack, McCormack. Yeah. Well, I had a great grandmother. Like I think the story was, it used to be M-I-C-K, Our name, like McCormick. And maybe we had a great 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 grandmother that didn't like that she didn't like the mick irish sound so she changed it to mac so people some people say mccormack mccormick I, I whenever i say it it's somewhere in the middle do you have irish lineage is that i think so like it's all british right it's like uh, it's english irish scottish my background right gotcha
0: gotcha okay cool you and i met at camp copperhead back 2014 right Yep. I mean that was that was the you know the first year and like Tom said when he was on the show it was different than than it is now
1: <laughs> yeah for sure yeah it was the best one obviously right it's the best one. he had all the hardcore fans there the, the the real ones that wanted like that was the, the biggest year he right? had over 100 people that year I think right?
0: we had uh it was right at 117 if I remember correctly um It was, man, it was, it was so big and and we didn't know what was going on. You, you remember that first night, Steve's like, everybody's going to get up and play a song. And, and, you know, we were all like, what, 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 what? (laughs) And, uh, and I remember that first night and I was just thinking, listening to all those people play, I was thinking, Oh man, I should have gone first. I don't want to follow any of this stuff. It's so good. (laughs) You know, I mean, there were just so many amazing people.
1: So good. A lot of good friendships came out of that too, right? Like you and I, and like, there's a circle of maybe, I don't know, like there's a lot of us, but maybe like 20, 30 of us from that first year, they're still in touch. And, and I consider them good friends, like even though we're, we're – we're virtual friends, but we're still in contact. You know, and that's what it is these days. I love it,
0: you know. Yeah, I love it too. I, I, and and just to to second that, yeah, some of my some of my best friendships have come from that. Um, especially later in life. You know, I find that it's a little, I don't know for me anyway. It's been weird making friends as I got older, uh, because you know everybody kind of has their social structure and, and so forth when they're when they're growing up, and a lot of people just kind of stay in that same area and so then if you move like I am I'm more bohemian so I move around uh you know if you do that then you're not really in that circle anymore when you get older yeah the
1: other thing too is I've noticed as I'm getting older in my 40s I'm going to my 50s now like your friends seem to like I don't know what the word is to say but you you lose friends as you get older right people just you know they go on with their lives people move away they get families you know people's lives change kind of thing right And I always thought the same thing, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I'm like, I'm not going to make any new friends. Why do I need any new friends? But, you know, like doing that Camp Copperhead thing was cool because you have, you know, a group of like-minded people. We have so much in common. We're Steve Rowe fans. We're songwriters. We like guitars. We like pretty much the same type of music. You know, most of us weren't professional, right? We take it very seriously. Most of us had day jobs, but we do this on the side and we're putting out records. And, you know, there were some people there that were really serious musicians and you know they're going to do this as a professional career but you know for the most part it was a lot of like-minded people from all over the continent and uh you know even from europe and, and people from that far away too and that i still stay in touch with and the other thing the other side of that's you know making new friends uh i'll say is this whole podcast community that that you're in now and that i've been doing a podcast for four or five years and i've kind of made another group of friends that are you know like-minded music nerds and we like to talk about all this stuff and going deep on albums and we guest on each other's shows and it's just an, a whole new nice community of friends. Right. So, uh, yeah, I love it. It's, you know, you should never close the door on making new friends, you know, I, I I'm
0: with you, man. I'm with you. So now, now you're in Canada, right?
1: Yeah. Just uh, in the suburbs of Toronto, just North of you... Ontario. Hey,
0: you've been there your entire
1: life. Uh, yep. or you, you... Yeah, I live in Pickering. Wow. Pickering's like a about 20, 30 minutes East of uh, the big city, Toronto. And I've lived here since I was, you know, two years old. I was born scarborough ontario and uh yeah i love canada i love ontario i love toronto so uh yeah
0: <laughs> you know being being from the state i've never been to canada uh i've been close a couple times i never made it up there uh and, and now i don't think i'm allowed but uh <laughs> before the pandemic um so is there a lot of national can- canadian pride i'm curious what, what what is it like in canada in regards to like you know how you feel about your country and is there uh is there kind of a a a real pride in it?
1: Absolutely, I'm very prideful to be Canadian and like I'm very, you know, proud to tell people I'm from Canada, like when people ask me where I'm from and I get to say Toronto, Canada, usually you get a little spark in your eye because, oh, Canada's cool, right? We have this reputation, I think, amongst the world, uh, the United Nations that, you know, Canada is pretty cool, right? And and, uh, I think the difference between Americans and Canadians is, you know, Americans can be a little bit more boisterous, Canadians maybe a little bit more reserved. Mm -hmm. So some of our pride, we we don't really flaunt it maybe the way we should you know so uh uh but yeah i'm very prideful in, in canada and you know with the arts here and some of our songwriters and the music that comes out of here and uh you know the, the diversity of the country that all the sure. people that have made uh you know all these great cities so great and uh it's just beautiful i've toured across the country once uh with a band and that was amazing i got to see you know from vancouver all the way to toronto and everywhere in between and uh you know really discover this country and you know I'm, i love it man i i, I encourage everybody to uh, check out toronto toronto canada it's a beautiful city
0: because you are there it is on my list to come visit you at some and whenever whenever we can uh whenever that happens again uh you know and, and it's been that way actually i think since we all kind of got together over at adam Yount's place for that get together a couple years ago
1: you got to get them going more more regularly i think you know it's uh <laughs> we're all spread out all over the world but uh you know it was so it's so great to connect like i i've had a i did a show here about two three years ago maybe maybe four years you know time flies but i had about five five or six of the copperhead guys we put on a show here and uh, you know it was so great to have them over my house and hang out
0: yeah it's a blast uh, you know it's um you know when, when you when you love music uh it, it, and you can when you love live music, especially, uh, and you can connect with other people that, that play and, and, and sing and so forth, that uh, it's just a magical moment, no matter really where you are, uh, you know, kind of thing. And if you're with people that you really enjoy, it makes it all that much better. So how is, uh, so in Canada, do, do you guys have the same type of education system that we do, like grade school, high school, and then university, I assume? How was school for you?
1: School was good. I mean... I don't know where I should go with this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I always did good in school because I figured that's how you always got to do good. I always try to do good at everything kind of thing, right? But I know I never liked school. I didn't like the, uh, you know, the regiment of it. You know, you got to be here this time. If you don't do this, you're going to be in trouble. You got to go over here this time. You got to do this now. You got to do your homework. So I don't really like being told what to do. And, and that sort of teacher enforce- enforcement, I think I had a hard time with that as I got older too, right? Especially in high school stuff like that and i got a little bit of an attitude and started started rebelling a little bit you know and so i mean that's tough but i mean the school is you know the good thing about school is kind of the camaraderie between your your, uh, peers and that kind of thing i think some students are missing out on that these days with the homeschooling that's gone on because of the covid you know that interaction with uh you know classmates and and adults and um authority figures and i I guess that's why they do put the, the the regiment regimental things in there right but uh when it gets too too much, like the military, you know, that's when I kind of skip school a little bit. I going to be a little bit of a, you know a, a rebel, and you know, I was kind of always the class clown as a kid too. So I was always kind of getting in trouble that way, making making the students laugh and stuff like that. Right?
0: <laughs> did you did you go on to uh, uh, university after that, and, and or did did you? Yeah, well, I went to college. Direction.
1: because I was I I knew from a very young age I wanted to pursue music, right? So I. I through all high school and grade school, I took the music courses and I really wanted to follow that is, you know, in hindsight, I don't know if that was the right idea. I guess it was the right idea for my heart, but you know, you know, if I wanted to be got a trade or something like that, or became a doctor or got a degree in something other that would be more valuable than being able to play drums really good, you know, that might've <laughs> helped me out, but you know, where it's led me in my life, I think is just amazing. I love, uh, you know all the opportunities that music has brought me and especially you know going to Humber College and studying music there in the jazz program and even to this day whenever I'm working on any kind of music either you know putting a live show together and getting a band together or recording something in a studio I'm always involving some of the people that I've met back in my, in my college days in the 90s right so you know just as far as making those connections and just being a part of that I think that was very um, helpful for me pursuing music and my dreams over the last, you know, 20, 30 years.
0: Yeah, well, you know, well, well, let me just uh, interject from my side. Uh, You know, I was at the same I had kind of the same sort of pivotal thing in my life where I thought you know I should go to school for music that was you know my plan I was gonna be a music major and then I kind of fell out of it because I had all of these job opportunities that came my way and they paid the bills and they did it well and so I kind of left that behind and, and looking back I, you know, I've, I've made a decision not to regret my life and my decisions yeah. <laughs> as best I can. But, um, you know, there's a big part of me that, that wishes I would have gone the direction you did.
1: See, well, there we go. There's the other side of the coin, right? Here I am regretting that I didn't become a doctor at 22. And here you are saying, you know, I really should have played more guitar back then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know,
1: you got, you, some, you got to kind of follow your heart. I mean... I don't know. I had, I've had, like I said, I had so many good things came out of that experience. Who knows where I would be now if, if I hadn't done that, you know, I would have might be a different person, you know? So.
0: Well, absolutely. Right. I mean, we all, we all take little bits and pieces you know, along the way. Now, did you say you were in the jazz program?
1: Yeah. Well, like you can't really go to a, a songwriting university or a rock and roll kind of college course. Right. So the only music courses they had back then and probably still to this day is they had like a, like theory uh courses where you could kind of become a music teacher and it's really regimental that way and you're working with classical music and arranging and stuff like that and they also had a Humber college they had had a jazz program there and that was kind of more of a a music performance uh school it was kind of known as the, the music performance school of Canada one of the greatest ones so many great musicians come out of that school um and become professors and teach there you know through the, the years so you know I was really uh, blessed to go to that school it's hard to get in you know you have to audition and you know they might have uh, you know 150 drummers audition and they only accept 20 right so I was fortunate that I, I passed yeah. that audition you know and I got in there and I really it was really a, a struggle to be coming from a guy that was just a drummer and now I'm thrown into this jazz school where now not only do they have to play drums but I have to learn how to play uh, vibes timpani Uh, marimba and you know do a lot of ear training and writing and have piano chops and they really kind of work you hard that way and arranging courses so I I really was a struggle but I got there you know like by year three I was really um, you know playing with some good ensembles and I I put up together a great final recital your your graduation year you have to put on a final concert in in the theater and you have to kind of you know try and get people to come see you put on a program an hour-long show showcasing everything you can do they want you to you know, play a jazz song, play a, play a ballad, play something fast, play, like show a variety of things, right? And because we're in a jazz school, a lot of the cast there, they would just do jazz music, right? They would be a sax player and he would just do a bunch of jazz songs. But you know, I'm kind of more of an entertainer, you know, I play guitar, I play drums, I like to sing, I like to do everything, right? So I kind of took it a, a different way and put on this big kind of entertaining show where I, I started playing some jazz, I did like some Gene Krupa fancy drum solos, Uh, I had a section where I played some mandolin. We did a bluegrass song. I had a guitar with a, I did a duet with a girl and like a Buddy Holly ballad kind of thing that was great. I even brought out an Elvis impersonator for the ending, right? As a kind of a joke, right? We did Suspicious Minds and I had this Elvis impersonator walk out and it was, it was classic, right? And I mean, we're doing it in this big theater and usually like we were doing it during the day too. So I think my concert moment might've been like Thursday at 2 p.m. Right. So a lot of people had a hard time getting people to come to, the sh- to their show because of where it is and the time. Right. But, you know, I had, I had a theater packed and it was kind of funny because people in classes like the were, teachers were putting notes on classes saying today's class is canceled due to Lee McCormick's recital. Please. Go see it in the theater, Right. So it was like it was a killer show. And I meant we, we, you're judged by a panel of three people there. Right. And one of the head the head you know teachers there at the, the head professor there he was really offended by my show because he's a jazz guy right a jazz sax player right oh. and he's like you're playing mandolin bluegrass you're playing buddy holly songs and an elvis impersonator like he literally wanted to fail me and i was like that's ridiculous wow. right but my the percussion head there and and the other adjudicator was like you're nuts i'm giving this guy like 95 percent like he had this place packed he's an entertainer right so so that was a really uh, thrilling moment and it was great to kind of end my my
0: three-year college career on, on that note, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, I, Man, that would have been great to see. You know, every so often, you, uh, especially when when you're around creatives and, and people that, you know, are working in, in artistic ways, um, or tradi- I, I should say traditionally artistic ways, it, it's interesting because there's always a few people uh, that, that kind of stand out because they think think about things a little bit differently than everybody else does man thanks for sharing that story because that's 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 really cool
1: yeah well i learned early and a lot from my influences too that you know you kind of just have to find what you're good at and just follow it yeah like you don't have to be the best musician i love a lot of punk rock right you don't have to be the best singer i love neil young right like, yeah, like so i mean you just got to find what what you want to do what you're good at pursue it that way right so i i learned that i think during my years there at Humber College that you know I'm not going to be the greatest jazz drummer you know but I have some other things that these cats don't have you know I can play guitar I have a a more of a broader sense of music I kind of know how to entertain I'm a funny guy you know I like to get on the mic and, and stuff like that right so you know, I tried to put this show together. You know, based on some of those strengths that I have, right? So uh, turned out really good, and I think I've, I've I've worked with that over the last you know 20 years. You know, creating my own music and playing in bands and stuff like that.
0: Once you got out of college, where did you go from there? I mean, I, did you chase the the music thing kind of at that?
1: Yeah, I did. It was pretty. It was pretty cool. Like right right out of college, I got a gig playing drums in a country band, and they were doing a cross Canada tour. That was summer '96. I want to say, yeah. So that was great that was like nine weeks right out of college i got this i'm writing this band you know get paid by week and doing all these gigs and they're big showcase gigs and it's kind of fun too because i'm playing drums in a country band and what we would do we would play a city like winnipeg we play like the local country bar there where you would do like a like a tuesday to friday night and you're playing like every night three sets it's one of those gigs, covers right all kinds of covers but then on the weekend we would play some of the big festival shows so we would go to like uh, dauphin dauphin manitoba and play this big outdoor festival um, with this singer. She had original music, right? So for the festivals, we're doing a lot of original music and we got to play with like a sleep at the wheel and Vince Gill and Tanya Tucker and all these great artists, right? So during the week, we're playing these club shows and partying and like you know smoking you smoking bars back then it was just like the kind of honky tonk vibe and then on the weekend we're playing these huge festivals playing in front of five thousand six thousand people right one of those days I got to actually say hello to Johnny Cash. He was playing one of these festivals. We were playing the Saturday I think right yeah it was out in BC Merritt BC right in the right in the mountains right this big festival must have been about 15,000 people there. We played the Saturday night. I think Vince Gill was also on the Saturday night. The next night was Sunday. Johnny Cash was going to play. I was like, oh, man, is there any way I could stay and see Johnny Cash, right? And they're like, well, we have to be in Calgary by Tuesday, right? So we're going tonight. If you want to take the the, the van, the, the band van with all the gear, you can do that, but you got to drive it to Calgary by Tuesday. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that so I got to stay the whole next day with my backstage pass, right, so uh, Johnny Cash's bus pulls up right, four in the afternoon or whatever, and uh, he didn't get off the bus, but I, I just kind of parked myself there, I just kind of watched it, right, so for a couple hours, and uh, yeah, he doesn't do sound check or anything like that, right, so he, he this was uh, 96, right, so he's probably in his mid-60s around then, right, so he's kind of starting, he's ailing a little bit then, he's doing all the the american recording stuff like still good music great band and everything still right but uh yeah i'm waiting for him to get off this bus and i'm standing there and there's this ramp that kind of goes up to the back of the stage right where the bus is parked right so finally i see the door open right it walks johnny cash I'm like, oh johnny cash right? and he's so he's so larger than life like you see him on tv and he's larger than life like in person he's that much more larger than life he just has a presence he's a huge man like seven foot tall right like huge feet right but he, he goes walking up this ramp and he's holding this rail and he's got a bit of a limp right and i'm just sort of standing there and as he's walking by he kind of glances at me and i just looked up and i said have a good show mr cash and he looked down and he said thank you son right and i was like oh man <laughs> he called me son he said thank you son right so i was just beaming right so then i got to watch his show like side stage it was amazing right it was such a such a great moment so you know, oh i'm
0: jealous man I'm, I'm I'm envious
1: yeah and you know i went on playing drums for a few years and playing a lot of cover bands and, and doing the bars and the honky tonks and you know inhaling all the smoke and you know everybody's talking and nobody's listening to your, your whatever song you're playing and stuff like that and i just kind of got fed up with it i'm like i don't want to play brown eyed girl in a bar you know at 1am anymore you know like i for like 100 bucks or whatever you know so that's when I kind of really thought, what am I going to do here? Can I write songs? Do I want to play drums forever? Because I always had, I played guitar, but I always wanted to be like, like my idols, Steve Earle, Bruce Springsteen, Gordon Lightfoot, Neil Young, like these troubadours, these songwriters, right? And I was always writing songs. So I'm like, this is the time I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to tr- really try and focus and write some songs, put a band together and see where I get right. So I, I, you know, I did that hard for five, six years and, you know, still working a day job and struggling that way. and. Put out a few records put a band together and stuff like that and uh, you know I didn't really make it to the top but uh, you know I, I put out some good music I had some great experiences playing some great gigs and uh, you know here I am 20 years later I'm still doing a little bit of both right? I'm still recording my own songs still writing songs I still do gigs with other bands playing guitar playing drums still got the day job so you know I've kind of been able to balance you've it kind
0: of you've kind of taken the, the the dream and made it work in in your life as as it would you know you kind of kind of
1: yeah i mean there there are moments where you know it's soul crushing where you kind of got to give up your dreams like it's like i can't pursue this anymore like i'm i'm 35 living in my parents basement still right like so (laughs) so it came a time where i'm like you know i really got to buy a house i got to move on with my life and kind of stuff like i kind of got to make a decision this is a hobby this is not a career anymore kind of thing right so you know, I've, that was kind of a tough move to make, but, uh, you know, it's, that's life. So I'm, I'm dealing with it.
0: That is a tough, that, that is a really tough move to make uh, in some respects. In some respects for, for artists, it isn't because we've always had to hustle no matter what we were doing, unless we made it. And even some of the folks that made it, uh, you know, we're still having to hustle after they made it. Uh, it's one of the big, one of the big things, the hidden things about the music industry is that, you know, there are a lot of people that make it that are, you know, big names that are, are still working jobs trying to make ends meet uh because it's
1: even tougher now like i know i kind of use this as an excuse sometimes i don't like it but you know when i was really giving it my best shot was you know late 90s early 2000s and that's Mm -hmm. right when you know people stopped buying music right so yeah is really tough. I didn't know how to do it, right? How do you how do you get a record deal? Well, you you make a demo, you shop it around the labels, right? So I was doing this like ninety nine, two 2000 2001 and like none of these labels were interested in. It. They're just barely They can barely sell Brian Adams records, let alone some guy from Pickering, no one's ever heard of, right? So that was such a struggle. Uh, and you know, a lot of people being able to use you know the advantage of a uh, you know the internet and that kind of you know social media these days to their advantage. You know, but I just I don't know. I just couldn't really grasp it then like that early two thousands period. It's really frustrating. Like I would do shows and I'd have these CDs for sale and I couldn't sell anything. Right. People would spend 40, 50 bucks on beers, but they're not going to spend 10 bucks on a CD. It was was such a struggle. Right. So. Yeah. I don't know. I sometimes I feel like I didn't work hard enough. That's, you know, I a little bit regrets with that, that I didn't work hard enough. You know, my business end of it probably wasn't as savvy as my creation, my creative end of it, you know, but, uh, you got to have that right like with music i've always said you need to be talented you need to be a hard worker you need to be lucky and you got to have that sort of extra something that's undefined you know that sort of certain quality that makes people want to listen to you and you'll want to attract it to you, you
0: know? Yeah, there's a, a pretty famous essay out on the web by an individual named Kevin Kelly, and he talks about a thousand true fans. If you haven't read it, I recommend you do it. It doesn't take real long, but his his methodology was really kind of put together for independent artists, if you will. Uh, and the idea, the philosophy is, is that Uh, a true fan is somebody that buys your merch travels to see your show within three hours of, of where they live. Um, you know, they're engaged, like we're true fans of Steve Earl, right? That kind of thing. Uh, but once, once an independent artist gets about a thousand true fans, uh, and then they are able to at least exist and have a methodology for having enough money to exist and, and do that. Uh, but you know,
1: They can sustain it. Yeah. So I I didn't know how to get fans man like so many, so many nights Elliot I remember like having a gig and, and going downtown Toronto and just putting posters everywhere on every street post you know every mailbox you know come see my band nice art graphics you know and I would do a show and I would get like fifteen, twenty 20 people mm-hmm. you know and like 18 of them were my friends who've seen me like 5-6 times already so yeah I don't know what to do, and I, I, you know, I work with agents and everything, and I, it's, it's, it's a, uh, you know, everybody's heard these stories before. It's, yeah, it's showbiz, right? It's tough. It's a tough. It's a tough business.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is, and and it also, you know, your timing, um, you know, didn't help either because there was a massive change in the industry. You know, everything that we grew up knowing to be true in the music industry, maybe not everything, but a lot of things. You know, the the Tom Waits getting on albums that, you know, getting on labels that are being subsidized by Michael Jackson and you know those those kinds of of things happening you know that that didn't happen anymore once you know the digital revolution you know happened you know the 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 good thing about about the digital revolution is that anybody can make an album the bad thing about the digital re- revolution is that anybody can make an album
1: yeah <laughs> you know? how do you the, the the mountain of entertainment is so big how do you get people to look at your little corner over there you know like come check me out come see this you might like this right there's so much stuff even today right like all the stuff i love i still miss miss things you know so it's
0: yeah, I, Seth Godin says that we're in, an, in in what they call an attention economy. You you have to find a way. And I think that's what his book Purple Cow was all about. You know, Purple Cow stands out because you, you haven't seen a purple cow, and that's how you get you know the the attention or whatever. So, what did you move on? So, when when you were making that decision, okay, hey, we're we're moving from 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 this being a career to being a hobby, and um, you know, all the internal stuff that goes with that is is tough, like you said, soul crushing. W- where did you? point your attention like what did you start to look for next like where did you where did you want to go did you just start trying different things or did you have an idea
1: yeah a few things i mean like i had this band called moon violet i had a female singer and i really had some Thoughts of where I was gonna take that, right? And then she she got married, had some kids. Right? Her priorities changed. I'm single still, no kids, so you know it was it was a little bit different there. Her priorities weren't in the same spot, so we kind of broke up that partnership. I kind of decided, okay, now's the time. I'm gonna I'm gonna take over this band. I'm gonna be the lead singer, the lead man of this band, right? I was always kind of insecure about my singing and fronting the band. I thought I'll be the songwriter, guitar player and I'll get a great singer and, you know, I'll be this kind of cool side guy, right? <laughs> but, you know, it just worked out that, you know, I had to take the mantle from away from her and, you know, I loved it. I loved being the front man. I love putting on these shows and I'm, I think I got pretty good at it, you know. I, I went through uh, other things where I started getting away from my own music and still playing with other bands, but doing a lot of tribute shows, right? There was some money in tribute bands, Uh, I did a a little bit of a stint playing drums on a cruise ship for a couple of years. That was a lot of fun. Now, you've
0: done that kind of off and on for a while, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I did it maybe for three, four years consecutively around the 2007 era around there. And that gig was I was the drummer in the orchestra on a cruise ship. So I was playing every night, jazz, production shows, you know, rock stuff. And, you know, that was a lot of fun playing all over the world. Kind of got too old to be living in a closet with another dude in bunk beds, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of things with cruise ships that suck, you know, there's a lot of things that are great, but you know, a lot of things that suck. One of them is that, you know, you're living in such a confined space and you have to share a cabin and that kind of stuff. So I'm like, okay, I can't do that anymore. But you know, there was a a thing on cruise ships called guest entertainers, right? Guest entertainers get more privileges. They have their own show. They're kind of the, the in charge. They get their own rooms and stuff like that. So, you know, I started doing a Johnny Cash tribute show, me as Johnny Cash putting that band together. That was a lot of fun. You know, I had some great profile gigs. I thought about going to the cruise ship route right with that, but uh, you know, I had some pushback on from the cruise ships. They didn't really want a Johnny Cash show. So I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> Johnny Cash is great. So you know I was able to move that show into some clubs and some theaters and, and do some pretty big high profile gigs around Ontario. So you know that was a lot of fun. And then I've also, you know, been playing with a Beatles tribute band lately. At playing drums, playing Ringo, and they're guest entertainers on cruise ships. So they invite me on every you know once in a while. I would do a stint, kind of subbing in for somebody. And uh, so yeah, the last three or four years, I've done a lot of gigs with these uh, these Beatles you guys uh, doing the tribute shows on the cruise ships
0: that's really cool man like that's a i mean and i love i love the way that you talk about that because you know you're talking about creating this johnny cash tribute show you know and the cruise ships weren't really looking for it they will be in about 15 years or less though because when the people our age get there that's what they're going to be looking for but the uh Interesting thing is, is that, you know, you were able to pivot that and, and, and do some shows in Ontario and around that's, man, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's a really something that's just so valuable. And I hope the audience understands that because sometimes we have to find our ways around an obstacle over an obstacle or through an obstacle that's stopping us. And you know, there's no guarantee that it's gonna look the same as what we imagined it was gonna look like at the beginning, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes sometimes we I, I... My experience tells me from what I've seen is that sometimes we consider ourselves more failures because it didn't, doesn't look like we thought it was going to look at the beginning, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with, you know, where you ended up in that process. The, I, for me, I, th- I think it's really the, the journey to get to where you're going more so than where you're ending up.
1: Yeah, like we can use the Johnny Cash show as an example. I have like three or four variations of that show that I can work depending on the club, the venue, the gig that I'm playing. Right. So, you know, I've done gigs, a solo gig, probably the best gig I've ever done. The best paying gig was a a high profile TV executive had a birthday about a couple of years ago. And he was a big Johnny Cash fan. So through an agent, his daughter hired me as a Johnny Cash impersonator to come to his house and do like a half hour solo acoustic show. And I got paid a lot of money for that man. for like half hours worth of work. I think I was getting paid like whatever, $35 a minute or something like that. Right. So, <laughs> so that was amazing. And that was just me on my guitar playing solo, playing like eight Johnny Cash shows. And they love that. Right. I also have, I can play the show as a four piece, a four piece band in a, in a, in a club where I, I do a lot of, you know, you know, the, the kind of the fifties era, Johnny Cash stuff, the kind of Tennessee three kind of a uh, style of stuff. Right. And I also have, I have a June Carter uh, uh, singer that I can play with. So we can bring that element to it. I've also written out charts for this show where we can bring in piano players and a horn section and stuff like that. So if we want to do a huge big theater show, we can do that too. I have like videos that can play. We all have costumes. So, I mean, I've taken this show and I have kind of tiered it down to three or four different versions, depending on the gig. Right. So, I think that's, that's kind of a thing you got to do these days is be flexible that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think sometimes, especially early on with creatives, we have a tendency to think this is my art and this is, this is the way that this thing is supposed to be. Um, and there's really not, not as much truth to that as, as we think because there's nothing wrong with giving a customer what they want to pay for.
1: Yeah, customers are right, right?
0: Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but, you know, I remember, you know, um, Ryan Adams got a lot of flack a few years ago. Well, more than a few years ago now um, for doing a gap commercial. Like a lot of people were calling him a sellout for doing a gap commercial and so forth. He was like, listen, guys, you know, I, I got paid $35,000 for, you know. 15, 20 minutes worth of work on this or an hour's worth of work on it. And it allows me to make the rest of the rest of what I want to do and the gaps happy with, with what I'm giving them. So, you know, it's a win, win. It's not a sellout. It's a win, win situation. You know, I mean,
1: every, everybody's got their line, right? Everybody's got their line in the sand. Like my line in the sand was playing covers in a bar and like in the nineties, I just had to stop doing that. Like I'm at, if I had continued doing that, I might be one of the most in demand uh, session drummers in the city. But I would still be playing a bar tonight, you know, and playing like, you know, Brown Sugar or something like that. And I really wanted to give it a shot and see what can I do as a songwriter. You know, like I was in my 20s. Like, this listen, now's the time to do it. I got to give it a shot. I won't be able to live with myself if I, you know, if I don't. Do yeah. It. So everybody's got to kind of make their own decisions on what they'll do, what they won't do. You know, it's. Just, well, let's
0: let's talk about your music a little bit. Let's talk about some of your original stuff. I yeah. have uh, a, a couple of your albums, um, and uh, you know, I I really like your, your tune, Sarah. That's um, it's one of my favorites. Uh, I, uh, I I enjoy when when I've gotten to edit the, that you know for video stuff and, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what what's the genesis of that
1: that particular tune? Where did that come from? You know where that riff is from. Uh, the lick on that is a. Uh tom petty wildflowers that song <laughs> yeah okay with a little bit of the lick there he plays a c chord but with his his pinky finger he hits the high g mm-hmm. uh, or yeah the, on the on the high e string there it's kind of like that formation so i was playing that song and i kind of worked on some different chords put together this kind of chord structure and i think at that time i think i was dating a girl named sarah i had a friend named sarah my sister's name is sarah and I, my one of my, my favorite school teachers that I had a crush on in high school. Her name was, her name was Sarah too. Right. I ended up picking yeah. her Rolling Stones in 1989, by the way. But anyway, hey. <laughs> her, her, her name was Sarah too, right? So I'm like, ah, I'm gonna write this song, and I'll just Sarah's the name, right? It's got to be a, a Sarah's the name, right? So yeah, that's, that's great. Together, pretty cool. And you know, I love Steve Earle and like Blue Rodeo and, that, and Neil Young and that sort of roots rock country kind of vibe. So I, I wanted to go with that that way with that song, and you know brushes on the snare and a little mandolin on there and stuff, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, a great tune. I really, I really enjoy listening to that one. You just, you just put out now. You just put out a new a new song, right?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. With my music, I started kind of with, with Moon Violet was the band, and I wanted to kind of be Rolling Stones meets Blue Rodeo, kind of you know rock, but have a little bit of country edge there with that. So I, I was doing that. Then when I took over the band, my singer left Dallas. She went on to other things. I took over as the front man. You know, I put out another record, me uh, singing everything on it, and that was still a mix of kind of the Rolling Stones, Blue Rodeo. I threw a little Rockabilly in there. I love the Stray Cats, Elvis, all those all those 50s Rockabilly guys, right? And then the record I did after that rock and roll party, I'm like, I'm going to try and do a whole Rockabilly record, like a Rockabilly trio, right? Drums, bass, guitar. And, uh, you know, I put that out. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. And just recently, I had the opportunity to go to record at Sun Studio in Memphis, Tennessee, right? I love... I love that place. That room, that (laughs) building, it just means so much to me. You know, all the guys that recorded there, Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins, uh, B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, right? The great Sam Phillips. There's Memphis. There's just something about that that building, that studio, that room, that city. There's something in the air. There's There's such a vibe there. You know, I visited as a tourist, as a fan, maybe 15, 20 times over the last 40 years. And, uh, you know, I got the opportunity to be able to go there and record uh, last summer. So that was such a thrill. Uh, I wrote two new songs. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, actually, I wrote a song called Every Night's a Saturday Night. I wrote that when I was on a cruise ship gig in Singapore, actually, like pre- previous. So that was, that was pretty cool. And uh, the other song was uh, Train to Heartbreak, which uh, was an older song I had called Train of Heartbreak. And this was a song that I, I actually got to play in front of Steve Earle at Camp Copperhead, I mm-hmm. think the fifth year, 2018 maybe i think we were there
0: 2017 the
1: 2017 I think, yeah. okay yeah i think yeah so. So. so that's when you know i played that song for steve roll and he got to critique it a little bit he said you know what you should change maybe instead of train a heartbreak how about train two heartbreak i was like oh that's kind of nice okay right? <laughs> so uh yeah he gave <laughs> yeah. me some a couple other tips on that and he, he let me keep the publishing on the name change right so <laughs> that was great <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now did you did you credit him on it as well? So that you... nah, hell
1: no, man. He told me I got it, we got it on tape. You I think you were filming it. We got it on tape. I've got Steve, it. can I keep the publishing? He's like, Yeah, man, you can have it. You can have it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, so tell me, man, what a thrill to have a song that I wrote that I'm proud of. Tweak it a little bit with some advice from my my mentor, my hero, Steve Earl, my songwriting, you know, hero yeah. was able to give us the pointers on this song, and I was able to record it at Sun Studio come on, give me a break. And I actually pressed it on a vinyl record. You know, I put out CDs before. I've never put out a vinyl record. So I'm like, I got to put these two songs on a 45, a seven inch vinyl record, uh, recorded at sun studios. So, uh, what a big thrill, man. Man, so that happy.
0: is, that is a thrill, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, man, what a legendary, what was, okay. I've got to ask. So what was it yeah. like recording in sun studio? Like, you know,
1: oh, man. It, like, <sighs> I I can't explain. It was just like, I was there for seven, eight hours, cut two songs. And the the other thing too, was that usually at Sun Studio, when when the recording bands, they're after hours. Everybody usually just sets up and plays live and the guys kind of record it there. But... The way they did it with me is I kind of played every instrument except for the bass. I brought a bass player, guy to play, upright rockabilly, doghouse, bass. But I played everything else. And the guys, the studio guys, the engineers, hadn't really worked that way before. So they were kind of excited. And they were kind of getting off on seeing me. Wow, he's playing drums now. Now he's playing guitar. Now he's singing. Now he's playing lead guitar, right? So, man. So first I laid the drum tracks down. That I was, I was cool. Then I put uh, acoustic guitar on it, uh, put some bass on it, uh, put lead guitar on it and then i sang it right so it was really a thrill and i mean to record there and and just i don't know if you've ever been there before but when you walk into that room it's just such a vibe it's just such a vibe you can feel it right so and they have pictures of all the stars elvis and sam phillips and jerry lee and they're kind of just looking over your shoulder right as i'm laying these drum tracks down and i'm standing in the spot where elvis stood when he would record a vocal and say you can see Sam Phillips in the in the the booth there behind the glass and they have an x on the floor right it's the it's the Elvis spot this is where he stood right so Come on, man! I'm singing one of my songs that like Steve Earle helped me write, and I'm like singing it where Elvis Presley stood 60 years ago. Come on, it's, it's beautiful.
0: Man, you've got to be you've got to be an amazing musician to do that, and I'll tell you why. Because the nostalgia of that would be overwhelming to me. I'm not sure that I would get through a song, quite honestly. Well, um, I'd, I, I, I had help, man.
1: I had some help from the sons, the ghosts of Sun Records, man. The ghost of Suns yeah. were there, and I felt them. I could feel their presence. I could feel Sam Phillips saying, "Yeah, man, that was a good take. Come on, you can do it." (laughs) that's a
0: great point music is spiritual and so you know hey absolutely well that man what that how exciting that had to be so so you pressed them on vinyl and uh and they're they're currently for sale right you can still get the vinyl or have you sold out oh i
1: got them still people can contact me go through my website moonviolet.com and you can get a hold of me you can buy a vinyl record off me uh, I'll, I'll mail it right out to you if, if you're not into vinyl records it's also on you know Apple Music it's on Spotify if you want to give it a listen gotcha we've also got a video out there if you want to get on the YouTube check out Train the Heartbreak Lee McCormick recorded at Sun Studio and you can see a video of, of uh, me kind of laying down some drum guitar and singing there in the studio it's uh, yeah that's amazing I'm just so happy it's, it was such a dream come true Elliot
0: <laughs> yeah man I mean there's uh yeah I, I've spent a lot of time in studios over the years uh, in fact before I even played music I spent time in studios because I had friends who played music and you know for a musician or for someone who who's in you know, a songwriter a creative uh, especially in the audio world it's like Disney world for for you you know it's just it's a special thing I, I and I, I don't know how to explain it really but even when I wasn't making music and I was just sitting in the control room listening to other people make music and watching the process there was just something magical about it so I can only imagine what it would yeah. be like you know at a legendary studio like that.
1: Oh, it's amazing. I mean, you know, I've always thought, you know, live is where it's at, you know, playing live. It's probably still the thing, you know, when there's a, when you have a good mm-hmm. band on stage and you're connecting with that audience and you're presenting a song and everybody's on that wave for a little bit. I mean, that's beautiful and you're, nothing's ever going to touch that, but there's something about being in a studio and that different sort of creative element in it where you, you have chance to go back or you have to cut a take and it's a do or die and stuff like that right and when i was starting out recording this is before pro tools and stuff like that so we were working off uh, a two inch tape right like and through a big board and i've yeah. sort of done it that way and i've also done it with the, the pro tools way too you know where you can kind of chop things off and it's easier to punch in and you know if you make a mistake and kind of go in and you know fix it a little bit that way but uh, you know it's really cool and i love the, the you know engineers and the production process of it a lot of good friends that are are really good at that stuff so i've been able to work with them in the studio and you know it's just a thrill when i'm able to uh you know work with my friends in the studio and put some music on and you know when i recorded that stuff at sun i brought the 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 tracks back and we mixed it back here in toronto so that was like us like two days of fun trying to mix it and we mixed it in mono right we were really trying to go for that sun record sound so we would listen to some music like that's all right or Paul's a fire, feeling good, feeling all right. All, all these great Sun records, you know, cry, cry, cry. Johnny Cash, and we were listening to it, and we we're trying to play, see, like, you can't even hear that ride symbol on blue suede shoes. It just it felt there. It's trying to get those levels right, and everything was recorded in mono, and putting the slapback echo on, it, and all those cool little effects, and just hearing how you have the song in your head. Now you got to try and get it on the tape, right? You got to try and record it that way, and little effects you can make and fading out and the mixing process. It's just, uh, you know, I love it. It's amazing creating music.
0: What um, I've always been fascinated with uh, your particular enjoyment of of different bands, and and that's not the best way to say it. It's just the only way it's coming out of my mouth. But what I mean is, is your influences. Like you, you ha- specifically, you have uh, a real enjoyment for the '50s era. Like, uh, it, it, and it comes out when you're talking, and and you can hear it. You know, you you. You don't just enjoy that music. You you know that music, and you you know you know the players. You know little, you know little Steve, and you know all of the all of the people too. You know, like you are a real fan. So I'm curious, how did that? become such a big part of your life how did you, how did that become how did the 50s era kind of become as much of an inspiration i know you like everything but i i'm, I'm interested in, in your connection to the 50s
1: well it's got to be like one of my earliest memories i was literally two or three years old i had a mickey mouse record player and you know someone in my family gave me an elvis presley 45 and it, it was elvis my one of my first you know memories of life is playing an elvis presley record and you know it, it was all it started with elvis you know and it I got into Kiss, you know. I was a big Kiss fan. I got into the Rolling Stones, all these other bands. But you know, it always started with Elvis and Johnny Cash. And I just, as I, I picked up new artists and learned more about music, I, I always wanted to learn behind the scenes. I was always big in reading every word on that album cover, reading who wrote the songs, who was the musicians, who were the producers, what city was it recorded in, all that stuff. You know. It, you know, around the 80s, all those kind of rock rock and roll documentaries and books started coming out. I, you know, just absorbed all of that, studied all of it. And as I was doing that, just still learning more about the 50s and 60s music, which I think is probably just a real renaissance in music. The way you look at like renaissance in art, the, you look at like classical music four or five hundred years ago. I think if we look at the, the like 1951 to 1975, that sort of 25 year period of music, it's just phenomenal, and it'll stand the test of time. Hundreds of years from now, I think people will always be going back and seeing, "Wow, this music just exploded in the 20th century," where you had all these guys in the 50s that were combining, you know, music from the, uh, the 20s and the 30s, the, the, the gospel music, the blues, the uh, the country music. Uh, all all the the swing, the jazz, all that stuff sort of came together in the late 40s, early 50s with these guys like Elvis that just had all this music in them. And he was was just expressing it the way he knew in a unique way. And it was just nothing that anyone had ever heard before, blending all these kind of influences. And at the same time, you you know, you're living in a a world that's breaking free, you know, TV is coming into into the world. And, you know, people are, you know, the war is over, people are like, living differently you know and rock and roll is like changing the world so when i went back and looked at all these songs i would i would be like elvis that's all right that's an incredibly song or, or like little richard or chuck berry and all all this stuff and i just put these guys on mount rushmore i just think they're incredible and they've changed my life you know and every kind of you know artist their band music anything that comes after that i can always trace back to those guys You know, and like I love the 60s, I love soul music, British Invasion, all that stuff, you know, even like when you get into the early 70s, the hard rock and the heavy metal, I love that stuff. But there's just something about those 50s guys. I don't know. And I love the style. You know, I love the cars. I I love all those hot rods in the 50s. I love the clothes. I love the hair, greasing your hair back, sideburns you know like the uh, ducktails and the <laughs> it's just great
0: <laughs> my first concert was Richie Havens and I was like six months old um my my first uh, my first 45 which you know was back then we listened on records not even on cassettes <laughs> um, was Glenn Campbell uh, it was uh, Country Boy on one side and it was Rhinestone Cowboy on the other and my mother she was a big fan my father was a big fan of the 50s and 60s music so you know Teenager in Love and Dion in the Belmonts and it, it, it was just such special music to me uh, to this day I mean I can still hear the perfection in Dion's voice in,
1: in some of those tunes uh, you know just and that doo-wop stuff. It's just beautiful. Like, the singers are just so... And, and the talent of the musicians, too, because you realize how they were recording things. Like, everything was pretty much live off the floor. Nobody did overdubs. So you have to get a perfect take with your band, right? Like, all, even all those Elvis songs. Like, he was recording with, like, five, six guys at a time, and they would do songs 50, 60 times until they got it right. So it's just, just magic, you know? And, you know, like you said about your parents, you know, my parents were into the 50s, right? My dad loves elvis and all that stuff and in the, in the cars and i get that from him right so that was a big part, part of my youth was you know he was playing all those all those songs too and i just really got into it and as I grew older in my teens I, I said you know you know i like 80s music i like the, i like what's being happening now but you know i still you know i, I, I kind of like that stuff better you know the 50s stuff that's where it's at for me <laughs> yeah
0: all right man well, I, i've always kind of been curious about that so
1: now e- but, and the other thing too i'll mention is the stray cats Right, yeah. which are my like absolute favorite band, and when they came out in '82, I was just like, "Holy cow! These guys sound like, like the Elvis and Chuck Berry. Like they sound like the guys in the '50s, but they're they're new and they're young and they're on MTV and they got tattoos and they're like cool." So I'm like, "Wow, <laughs> this is my thing!" <laughs> so I really got onto those guys too. You know, yeah. whole '50s rockabilly rock and roll vibe.
0: Now you uh, you said uh, how was your, how was your family uh, growing up? You, you got a sister? Are you? Are you I mean, just a yep, uh,
1: younger years? sister? Yep. All right, cool. And uh, um, my fa- father's side of the family, very musical, right? So I remember mm-hmm. a lot of times as a young kid, we would, you know, have family visits. I think it was like once a week, Thursday nights, we would go hang out and, uh, you know, family visits. And, you know, so we wouldn't sit around the TV. We would sit around the table and we'd play Elvis records, you know, and the guitars would come out and we'd have sing-alongs and stuff like that. So, you know, music was always a big part uh, of my childhood family and everything like that.
0: And you said earlier that you knew that that was something that, that you wanted to have a, a big part of your life, uh, from early on. And I assume that comes from moments like that more than anything else.
1: Yeah. Seeing my uncles sing a song and play guitar and, and being like five years and be like, Oh, I want to do that too. Right. <laughs> yeah,
0: Absolutely. Well, yeah. let's talk about your podcast a little bit because, um, uh, I want to be cognizant of your time, uh, and because it's valuable. Um, Tell me, tell me a little bit about it. I, I mean, I, I know some about it, but I want the audience to hear a little bit about it. And also, I, I forgot to say earlier that uh, I'll get all the links to all your stuff. We'll put them in the show notes, and and everybody will be able to check out your your videos, where to buy your stuff, and all that kind of all that kind of jazz for sure but tell me about uh, about the podcast uh, tramps like us right that's
1: yeah so tramps like us a bruce springsteen podcast right so I've, I've been doing it for about five years now i started in 2016 and uh you know i just i was always a big listener of podcasts right so and you know, it was great. You know, I, I would go to work and I would listen to the podcast all day. It was, it was amazing. Right. And listening to the podcast, I just loved it because it's, it's all these like-minded people, like we were talking about earlier, you know, talking about music and, and there was, I love podcasts because there's no rules right? you can kind of do what you want. That's, you know, talk about whatever you want. It's just, you're just engaging in these conversations, these discussions and stuff like that. Right. So
0: yeah. What's more rock and roll than a podcast, baby.
1: Absolutely. Right. right? right. So I was listening to all these podcasts and then, as these guys are talking about whatever they're talking about a Billy Joel record or something like that, I wanted to kind of chime in because I'm like, yeah, I want to, I have some comments on that too. And my comments are just as valid as yours. Right. So I was looking for a way in to do getting part of this podcast community. I went to see Springsteen in Toronto and uh, just blew me away. Of course, I've seen Springsteen so many times. He's always been a big fan of his. And you know, there's, there weren't many Springsteen podcasts. There's still, there's only a few compared to some other bands that have, you know, 10s and 20s 30s like if you look at kiss podcasts, well, there must be 30 kiss podcasts out right there right but i thought you know the world is in need of a bruce springsteen podcast right and i thought he's got the kind of fan base that would eat this stuff up he's got rabid hardcore fans right he's got a, a wealth of material and a catalog that's you know you can really discuss and go in depth on it on his on his work right so put the Bruce Springsteen podcast together and, you know, it's been great, you know, stud, uh, getting in deep on his career, uh, his music, you know, all facets, the East Street Band, all the album reviews, live shows, uh, you know, have get, getting different people on my show. Also doing sidecasts. I've branched out where I just do non-Springsteen related topics. I got a show, a sidecast called Rockin' and Rollin' and whatnot. And, uh, you know, we've done a lot of things like that. We did one at Camp Copperhead where I just uh, focused it all on like Springsteen and Camp Copperhead putting that Steve Roll kind of connection together and you know that was a great episode and yeah, it's been a lot of fun It's a lot of work, but you know as my Kind of music career has kind of been slowing down a little bit. I needed something creative to do, right? I just needed something to get out there and you know, this was a lot of fun I just kind of did it as a to see if I could do it now five years into it I'm really enjoying it still and I'm still a Bruce Springsteen fan. You might be surprised I'm still not tired of listening to Bruce Springsteen after a hundred episodes of uh, the podcast, you know?
0: <laughs> wow. I, yeah, man. Like, uh, and as I alluded to earlier, or may have mentioned, I can't remember at this point, but you know, your, your sidecast, uh, and your podcast, uh, were the first ones I was ever on. I mean, that was, uh, um, because I, I think it was the the Tom Petty one
1: yeah um, Tom Petty passed so that was I think that was my very first sidecast episode Tom Petty passed and that room really hit me you know it's it's tough man we're getting to that age when all of our rock and roll heroes are in their 60s and 70s now and they're starting to fade pretty quick right so that one really hit me and I was just like I need to do something I need to uh, what can I do and I was just like I'm gonna do a podcast on Petty and this will be the, a sidecast because it's not Springsteen related, right? So yeah, that was a great kickoff to the sidecast having you on there as well as a few other friends and just, uh, you know, sharing some thoughts on Tom Petty at that moment. You
0: know? Yeah, and it was really great because I, I got to listen to, the, to, to you put that together and really there weren't any, you know, no real rules. Um, now, how it seems to me, at least in the last year, there's been a lot more discussion in regards to copyright, what different um, platforms will allow, won't allow. There's been a big hubbub at, at Facebook and, and, and all of their platforms recently because uh, they've been talking about how uh, you know they're changing their guidelines and live streaming for a quote-unquote musical experience is not allowed and there's been clarifications and stuff like that. and And so with your podcast specifically, you know, you're very it's music-driven, right? It's all about the boss. So um, you know and i know I know that you 've played some music on it how How have you been looking at or are you concerned about the all of the different stuff that 's coming down with copyrights like I know that spotify uh, that i 've I'm in a couple podcast groups, just like you are on Facebook. And, you know, some of them have been talking about, uh, you know, Spotify pulling, pulling their, you know, people's podcasts because of copyright, quote unquote, infringement, stuff like that. So what's your take on all that, man?
1: Well, yeah, I know a few people that that's that have happened to. And uh, luckily, I haven't been shut down yet. Uh, I'm still waiting to get the, uh, the lawsuit from Bruce Springsteen. I think that'll be, you know. <laughs> Something I'll be very proud of if I get a letter saying, "Hey, man, I, I like your show, but you got to stop doing that." <laughs> <laughs> so well, the way the way I look at it, Elliot, is that, you know I don't make any money off this, right? I'm not selling advertising on my show, and I, mm-hmm. I, I it's because I'm using other people's intellectual property to kind of base my show on, right? So I don't like to make mm-hmm. a profit on my show. I'm I lose money on my show, right? I, I you know you got to pay to get a podcast going there, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I think. Like, where are there other avenues for people to promote music like the way some of these podcasts are doing? There's not. And I guarantee you, I've I've sold music for Bruce Springsteen because of my show. I, I know that for a fact. I've turned people on to things that they don't know if existed or they haven't heard yet, and they've gone out and they've bought that thing. I have a disclaimer on my show saying, if you've heard anything you like, please buy it. You know, please find it. Search it this way, you know. And, you know, I don't really play full songs. I play clips. I fade them out. I talk over parts of it. You know, I try not to play... I try to play, you know, original songs and bootleg things and, you know, different things. And I don't know. You know, I I just, it's one of those things. It's, uh, you know, if they told me I couldn't play music, I don't think I would do it anymore. I'm not really interested in doing a talk show. So, you know, knock on wood, until that day comes, I'm still going to plug out these these episodes and have fun with
0: it, you know? Yeah. I hear you. I hear you, man. All right. Uh, Hey, man, I want to, I want to say thank you for coming on and being on the show and and hanging out with us for a while. Um, you know, time's precious resource. Can't get any more of it. And the fact that you are here with us, I appreciate that, man. I really, really do. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely make sure that we get links and and everything in the show notes, uh, to tramps like us, all your stuff will be in there. Uh, is there, uh, anything you want to, Tell folks before we we wrap it up,
1: man. No, man, I guess just keep positive, keep rocking and rolling and whatnot, you know? (laughs) I mean, that's what we're all doing these days, right? Like like, life is tough. Like we said, like everybody's dealing with their own situation these days, right? Like some people are isolated, some people aren't, some people are, you know, living in a small... Place with a big family, and some people living alone, and you're dealing with that stuff. So,
0: I should ask, I I probably should ask this before I tried to wrap everything up, but that's all right. That's what Post is for. Um, the how has it been being single during the pandemic? Uh,
1: it's good and bad. I mean, like, I I do get lonely, I haven't seen a lot of my friends, and like, you know, some of the girls I was dating that's kind of slowed down. You know, I'm not really interested in, in going out and meeting anybody new, let alone like. Inviting them over yeah. for the night, you know. So, you know, that's really slowed down. But uh, on one hand, you know, I, I live alone and I have a nice house here, and it's beautiful. You know, I'm just here by myself. It's not like I'm living with a, a, like three or four people in an isolate in a small apartment. You know, where people are just on top of each other, and that can that can probably get uh, you know a little tough. But uh, you know, so I've been dealing with it. But uh, you know, it could be a lot worse. Could be a lot better. But. Uh, you know, man, I'm I'm very grateful for what I have in the situation I'm in now. You know, I'm I'm in uh, my my job is secure and, and that's great in these times. You know, and oh yeah, oh oh, I just I should... gotta keep on rocking, man. Just keep <laughs> turning the corner, keep on trucking, just keep pushing, keep punching, like Rocky would say, right?
0: Right, man. Keep keep on rocking in the free world. Uh, let me ask you this last <laughs> last question, and then and then 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 we'll wrap it up for sure. Um, what yeah. is the one Springsteen song? That we should absolutely listen to that we probably haven't heard of.
1: Uh, that's a good question, Elliot. Uh, I don't know if I should go deeper. I'm gonna go "No Surrender." That's my favorite song. I, I, it's It was off "Born in the U.S.A.," so I'm sure people know it, but it's, it wasn't a big hit. Right? It wasn't really a single. But "No Surrender" is probably one of my favorite Springsteen songs ever. Uh, really dig that one. Just, I mean, it's it's the power of rock and roll in that song. You know, it's it's just uh, you know if. if Besides a song like Born to Run, which kind of embodies everything Springsteen is about, you know, No Surrender is another one of those songs that just gets your, your blood uh, pumping, you know. So, uh,. <laughs>
0: yeah all right so we'll check out no surrender we will check out uh we'll check out your stuff if anybody's gonna you know anybody needs some vinyl you've got some for them. uh anyway thank you so much for being here i appreciate the time i i really do and i can't wait till uh we can get back together again uh sometime uh face to face
1: yeah we gotta play some guitars elliot oh man
0: absolutely Pretty good stuff from Lee. I hope you noticed how Lee found a way to balance his career and his art when the traditional paths more or less collapsed, right, as he was really giving it a go. What's amazing to me is how Lee is able to take rejection and turn it into success. Look at the Johnny Cash show he put together for the cruise line. They weren't interested. So what did he do? Did he give up? Did he say, oh, well, this is a stupid idea? No, he didn't. He said, I know there's value in this show, so I'm going to create several versions of it to fit the different, what we would call avatars today, but to fit different customers or customer experiences. Then he put the show on and he had good success with it. That is really a great example of not only thinking outside the box, but it's also a great example of how to accomplish your dreams. They don't always look the way you expect them to look, when you begin the journey but they're always worth it make sure you check out the show notes for links to where you can get all of lee's music and also where you can watch his video of train to heartbreak also if you'd like to win a copy of his tunes shoot us an email at plainodragon at gmail.com to find out how and remember you might be plain and you might be ordinary but you're a dragon and we can't wait to hear your voice in this world where are the hopes i need answer this for me help me